For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. Hello, everybody. It's nice to be here uh, with you who are Zooming in and with people in the room, um, just uh, bringing you into the room a little bit while we were in Zazen. I could hear drum music uh, and a little bit of rock in the room next to us and traffic outdoors. And so you're very much, we're in the, in the midst of a, of a vibrant community. And I'm sure they smell our incense and uh, hear our chants, which is kind of cool. So what I'm going to talk about tonight, I'm going to break into three parts. Um, And I chose this chant because I think it captures um, some things that I find hard to put into words. Um, And so I might come back to it later. But I'm going to begin the first part uh, to talk about a trip I took week before last, to Arizona. Um, I went to Tucson area, and um, I very much felt the need to get away from the winter uh, and have friends out there. And I like to be in the outdoors when I travel, so I spent almost every day on a hike somewhere away from the city. Um, And... My experience sometimes when I'm first in a wilderness area is to almost be viewing it like I'm a visitor, um, which of course I am, but but viewing it um, as like an interesting thing to see. Um, and it takes me a while, typically, before I begin to realize I'm now part of this, um, and and integrated into it. So uh, to give you examples is um, it can seem idyllic when you're first in a you know in a forest or in this case the desert uh, forest. It is like a forest, even though it's a very different kind, um, and you are looking at things and I was being told about different kinds of cactus and um, uh, some that jump out and you have to be careful not to get too close at you. Um, There was lots of discussion of rattlesnakes and it just became rattlesnake season so there were signs everywhere um, not to put your hands or feet anywhere you couldn't see which I thought was an interesting instruction. uh, uh, to stay on the path, um, things like that. Um, there were, uh, 
So, so I think what I'm trying to say is that it takes me a couple days to begin to feel that I have an impact too, that we, we are entering immersing uh, when we're in a natural area. And some of the ways you realize it is, uh, you know, like uh, years ago on a Sierra Club hike, a, a leader, someone asked about rattlesnakes because we were in rattlesnake country, and he said, um, they hear the vibration of our footsteps and pretty much clear out of the way uh, before they don't want to see us any more than we want to see them. And that was interesting to me to think of our presence is causing animals to be shushing away, moving out of our path. Um, also, uh, I caught things out of the corner of my eye a few times on this trip. One was a couple of rabbits that they were close to the path and they jumped away quickly and then they stayed within our sight and kind of like entertained us. And we realized they were trying to draw us away from their nest, you know. It was nesting season and it's like you're you're taking their energy to kind of be protective of you. Um, so, so there's a way in which while I'm out there, you have to stay cognizant. You can't, it's better not to get off the path. You need to be uh, aware of what's around you, but also the animals are shifting around because of your presence and you're a part of that dynamic. And that is something that I think pertains to me in life um, in other places as well. That um, I can be in a field of people and not recognize my impact sometimes. Um, and so then I want to shift to the second part of the talk, which is about the first part of uh, the pandemic or the, you know, bef now we're kind of in a transition where we can be together again. Uh, but initially we were more secluded and, um, you know, my own experience was spending more time alone I would uh, Zoom with friends, message friends, talk with friends, do outdoor walks with friends, uh, but that was it pretty much. And I think it, it led to more uh, contemplation time for myself, um, more time to reflect. Um, for me, it this you know it's like I'm at an age where I am kind of looking back and summarizing my life a little bit and um, getting a sense of where I am in this, um, that now I'm an older person and I'm not used to being in that role. So, so some of that time was getting used to that and having more quiet space to do it. Um, but there was also conflictual things that came up, as you all know, during uh, the first part of the pandemic. And, you know, just the issue of so many people dying and um, more, uh, some people being affected more than others, uh, low income people of color being much more impacted. The discrepancies within our culture. Um, was something to sit with and 
also the political unrest. And the political unrest, I think I found almost more stressful than COVID um, because it seemed it could really tear our country apart in so many ways. Um, and so that particular arena, um, as well as, you know, people who got vaccinated or didn't get vaccinated, there was so much room for polarization um, during that time. And I found uh, myself on the phone sometimes with good friends who agreed with me, you know, we would be chafing at the bed about how awful things were um, and our own opinion. Uh, uh, but not always being that understanding of people who had an opposite opinion. And for me personally, I, I um, had a challenge in some family relationships during that time uh, that became very strained, I think, because I wasn't very careful at times with my, uh, the way I expressed my feelings. And I uh, be learned to appreciate how um, delicate the balance is uh, and that people can be on different sides of um, an opinion field uh, for good reasons that you, the others of us may or may not understand. And so um, I think my, my experience with nature, you know, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that there's something about recognizing the impact of your presence. Um, also, how you show up, uh, what level of sensitivity you have, as well as standing up for what you believe in, how to do that uh, in a sensitive way is important. And it has to do with staying aware of the impact you have on others around you, you know, in the same way that you're having an impact in a natural um, setting uh, and it's uh, taking energy for animals sometimes to protect themselves from people uh, that they might be using for other things like gathering food and reproduction. Um, it's like with that, we need to bring that same sensitivity into um, our, our personal world. And um, so I think that's a piece of what I'm talking about, uh, thinking about today. Um, now, as we are, you know, that um, we're in a transition point, COVID is not behind us, but uh, things are relaxing a bit and we can be out in public more. Um, I'm doing more social things. I, you know, would guess every, a lot of people are. And so I think it's a decision point about how much do I go back to the way my life was before COVID. Um, I think I have a little more contemplation space in my life now than I did before COVID. And I guess I'm thinking about, do I want to give that all up? 
um, I am personally able to, and so I'm going to work one day a week less. Uh, and I'm not, uh, I'm able to do telehealth. So, so some of the time I work from home, um, although I do get out two days a week into an office, um, which is moving back into the world. Uh, but as I do move back out into the world, um, I, I guess I don't want to lose some of the contemplation time uh, and some of the ability um, to have some uh, protected reflection time, maybe more than I had before. Um, and I'm also cautious about just getting back into routines uh, where I, uh, my time got to be filled and I was in a routine, but I don't know that I was thinking a lot sometimes about things that mattered most to me. Um, and so the silent illumination chant, um, some of the the uh, symbolism in it that I find so beautiful um, has to do, you know, it's a lot of reference to inner illumination um, and, and reference to natural phenomenon, dew in the moonlight, a river of stars, snow-covered pines, clouds enveloping the peak. In darkness, it is most bright, while hidden, all the more manifest. The crane dreams in the wintry mists. The autumn waters flow far in the distance. Um, I think for me, I there is something that I gain when I'm in a natural setting that I it's hard for me to describe what it is. I don't really know exactly how to describe it, but it is a sense of understanding more completely what's important. Um, and so I, uh, yeah, I'm going through this talk faster than I thought I would. Um, And so um, I think I think one of the you know one of the things I think about sometimes is uh, the need for reconciliation uh, and to be heard by different factions and um, and that in the, our political society that we tend to get polarized it seems to me uh, a lot. And so looking for ways there can be reconciliation between uh, the different factions, like vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, Republicans and Democrats, homeschoolers versus back-to-schoolers, uh, those pushing for racial and economic reform and those opposed to that reform, uh, gun activists versus gun control activists, climate activists versus climate deniers. 
there's um, something also. I there's a lovely essay in the recent New Yorker uh, interviewing Wendell Berry. Most people know Wendell Berry, but I think you all do. Um, he I relate to him a lot because he also grew up on a tobacco farm and he's he's very much into natural farming and he's a longtime Kentuckian. Um, but he was asked about whether he gets drawn into difficult political situation uh, conversations in the small town where he lives. And um, he had already previously in the discussion been talking about the dependency on people helping each other out with jobs that needed multiple workers. And I remember that when I was a kid, uh, that you would rely on neighbors. You, you've typically needed a few a few people to do a number of different jobs. And so you would just take turns. You'd do one person's farm and then you'd do the other and, and it was agreed. It was an agreement everybody made and you depended on everybody. Um, and so Barry had described that and then he responded to this question about getting into political conversations and he said, you know, when you rely on people in the way that we do here, you, you just don't, uh, you just are aware of that always. You, you don't jump into uh, insisting on your point of view, something to that. And I, I was thinking about the, that dynamic uh, and that it creates the need for more sensitivity and um, searching for the, the path of connection with, with individual people. And so, um, I don't know that I have more than that to say. <laughs> and so, um, but, I, but I do think there's a lot to discuss here, and I'm interested in hearing um, people's reactions and comments. for a very thought-provoking talk. I really just appreciated so much what you were um, kind of unfolding at the end with the Wendell Berry quote about, and, and how uh, it just was making me reflect on our interdependence, you know, and, and because it seems like that's what he's talking about, that, that recognizing interdependence really changes how um, maybe free we are to just expound one particular, the particular view that, that fits from our, you know, standpoint. Mm -hmm. And, um, and how, I don't think that recognition, um, you know, maybe belongs more to people outside of a city or, 
inside of a city, but it's just something that you know we maybe can overlook in our in our day to day. You know, we we get so focused, as I think you're saying, on what we have to do and you know how we live and what. So we, we see the patch of the world that we come in contact with and we start to think that the whole thing is that way. Mm -hmm. But um, but it's nice to have that, that time to reflect on our interdependence and our um, well, you know, dependence on, on others who share different views. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And I think that, you know, like I become aware, like even in my neighborhood, Sometimes you can think there's an obvious reaction to something. You know, like one of my neighbors put a bird feeder in the alley and it's drawing rats. And the rest of my neighbors are really upset. And, and so, you know, it's easy to join into the chorus. But that neighbor was really trying to draw birds. And it's like there's a need for sensitivity to what they were trying to do and not just pounding them to death. Yeah, or criticizing them. Well, I was just thinking about getting a bird feeder. <laughs> this is a cautionary tale. Be careful. Thank you. There are certain kinds to get. Can you expand a little bit on what you mean by sensitivity? Like, I think I was getting it with the metaphor, but of like being conscious where you're walking and being aware of the environment and how you're impacting it and it's impacting you. Um, but then I had a hard time translating that into an understanding around what you meant around some of these things that I think are really important when there's difference. To talk about, um, even and especially when we depend on one another. Um, so things like racial justice, um, I kind of I can see how a bird feeder situation <laughs> might be one in which we could see all sides of the coin. Um, but I'm not particularly interested in in doing work alongside somebody who wants the oppression of people in my community, um, and so. Yeah, I guess I wonder what, what you're suggesting that looks like in those situations. In in the situation around racial justice or Sure, racial justice or I mean a number of things, people who are supportive yeah. of a fascist yeah. Yeah. president, so on and so forth. I think the racial justice one, I heard somebody talk about this recently that um I'm not sure I'm gonna get this correct, but um when he was being questioned, he was being interviewed about it, and I can't remember the incident, but uh, there was a reference to people's uh, reaction who had, you know, it had sounded pretty racially prejudiced uh, to me too, and uh, this person who was being interviewed about it said, I'm not sure it was prejudice, I don't think they understood. It was more that the people who had taken the action there was a context in which uh, they didn't see the, the implications of what they were doing and, and the way and it was the way it was racially discriminating uh, against a number of people. And I, I guess I feel like that happens sometimes that 
that we can glom, we can group people into all one category when there can be, there are some people who are outright racially prejudiced, uh, and there are some people, I think, who are not as aware of the fact that they are doing discriminatory things. Uh, and I think there are ways in which all of us can do discriminatory things that we're not aware of. And I think there's so many shades to that, that when we kind of begin to define things as this is, you know, this is one, one, and this is the other, that we lose uh, some of the layers in that. Yeah, so maybe what you're suggesting is like still holding relationship with folks, um, like still like maintaining relationship to like investigate those layers. Is mm-hmm. that one of the suggestions? Right, right, right. Like among my friends, especially when uh, Trump was still president, you know, I had friends saying, mm, if I have relatives who voted for him, I, I no longer talk to them. And um, I got it, and I had to think about it a lot, but I decided I couldn't do that. Um, And I think that that's an example of trying to sort out where, how to under wanting to understand why some people thought that he was he was a good idea, that he was a, a good leader, that that we have to expand ourselves to try to understand. And I don't think it's as, it's as black and white as we see it sometimes, even as it's written, that we need to be looking for the nuances and the shades of gray that sometimes can help pull people together more. But everyone might not feel the same way. Thank you for so many beautiful images and such a caring and deep teaching copy. I mean, I think it's it's a challenge to us all, and it's a fruit of zazen to be able to have intimacy with all beings and see everyone on the same path and act accordingly and still stand up in the midst of suffering and want to respond in a caring way. You know, I keep thinking about our uh, Soto Zen pillar of Nanmitsu uh, no Kafu, our family style of being extremely careful. And in that, it's like that word Mitsu is intimacy or is tightly woven that we're all so connected. And we forget that sometimes. And I think our practice, you know, like when you step on the earth and you disturb the rabbits, but also. The rabbits are playing with us, you know, and it's a it's a difficult order. You know, this summer, this fall, uh, the man who lived on my first floor for 37 years died. And we had a party and all the neighbors were invited. People who were not vaccinated were invited. People who held very different views. And it was so amazing how it took a death. <laughs> 
for people to realize how much they really cared about each other. And everybody brought things. There was a Chicago police officer, you know, there was all sorts of folk. But it, but it was a sense of community and it really changed the neighborhood. Oh, wow. And I think, you know, we're pretty primitive humans. It takes a lot to wake us up. And I was really grateful that the neighborhood could come together like that. And people are very different now. They're much more engaged with each other. Oh, that's neat. That's pretty anything. I think anything that develops community is is positive. That anything that pulls people together, uh, because I think it because I think it resolves a lot of issues. I think a lot of problems would be resolved if we had a sense of community. Yeah, which means yeah, joining with people that we're different from. Thank you. Thank you for your wonderful talk. Um, the Gatsu story reminded me of, um, I forget where I heard it, but it was, maybe it was someone who runs a podcast or a TV show or something, uh, who was, um, I think, left-leaning or a Democrat and, and was trying to understand um, people who um, thought more conservatively than they did. Um, and so each episode of whatever this um, thing was, was um, they would um, have dinner with like a, a family or a person or someone who was more right-leaning than they were uh, and have a conversation. And it didn't always, it wasn't, you know, it's like magic fix every time or, you know, Everyone was changed, but what I what I really appreciated about it was the outreach, and I think as Nagetsu was talking about that sense of like trying to like at least start a community. Um, and I find that in situations like that, even if that you know no one has changed their mind or you know still thinks the same way, um, they really appreciate the person who made that outreach, uh, and that to me is a step towards something. Uh, and I really like that, so I think it's beautiful. Um, I wish there was more of that. Mm-hmm. And Gatsu, I remember, forgetting uh, his name right now, Edward. Edward. I remember Edward. Um, and Edward played a part in this because he would sit on the front porch drinking wine and inviting people to join him. And they, he was as constant, you know, so people in the neighborhood knew him. Um, I would get to know him from going and coming uh, to Hagetsu's and uh, and that was a central focus point for years. You know, he was pretty old when he died, so it, he was doing that a long time, which is something that is a constant in the community. Yes, it's helpful. But he also offered dog biscuits to all the neighborhood dogs, <laughs> and the dogs attended the memorial. <laughs> like at least eight dogs. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hi, David Ray has a question. Oh, uh, yes, please go ahead. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Thank David. Oh, so very much. Thank you for that talk. As Thank you. Um, images that 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 are going to stick with me. I am I am loving the image of the uh, of the rattlesnakes um, experiencing the vibrations of human footsteps and clearing. Out of out of the way, 
And, and among other things, it's making me think about this weird and wonderful environment that we're in where, you know, right now I can see you, you can't see me. I can hear Hogetsu and I can hear Mike and I can hear Asian, but I can't see them. I can see other people in their, in their domestic space. Um, I'm reminded that the first time that I was at a, an all day, uh, session, you know, during, during the pandemic, uh, at, uh, at, uh, at Paula's Kung Fu studio, when we chanted together, I, well, I suddenly remembered, oh, that's right. When we chant together in person, I actually feel the vibrations in my skull and there's that joy of choral singing. And, um, I'd love to hear anything that you, that you might, you, you know, that you might have to say right now from a Dharma perspective about, about this, this strange ongoing, environment where in some ways we're connected and in, and in other ways we're weirdly disconnected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I, uh, I think you're right. Some ways we're connected in some ways we're weirdly disconnected and the pandemic has created a different kind of disconnection than we had before. And now we're, we're having to select almost a little bit more. Uh, the connection. Yeah. The other thing that they, uh, my friend told me about <laughs> rattlesnakes is if you come upon a log or a stone, you don't step over it. You step on top of it and then you step down. So it has time to know you're there and move away. Because if you step over it, you're stepping someplace you can't see also. Um, but I think that the idea around community fascinates me and I think when I read Wendell Berry um, it takes me back to my roots a bit Um, uh, but that was such you know I grew up in the 50s and I grew up in a farming community and there very much was an interdependence um I remember once a family had a fire and um, pretty much lost everything. And I can't remember if that house got rebuilt or they saved some of the house, but there was a shower in a barn and everybody brought a piece of furniture and they, this whole community refurnished the house like in one night, you know, and that's one of my memories, um, which is kind of neat so that you connected with people, even if they were had more money than you or were very much poorer than you or um, had different opinions or um, were very old or were alcoholic and sometimes uh, got into trouble uh, on their own and needed someone to check on them. Um, it's like you're part of a community and it's small enough you count on each other. There's no one else to do it. And I don't think we experience that as much in a city. I think we almost have to choose how to be connected in a community and or to be aware of people that we live around.
I don't mean to say at all, though, that I, I, you know, that it's it's not important to take a stand and to speak up. You know, it was very important, I think, for those uh, protests to happen after George Floyd was killed. It's like that's also very important. it's just that that then we have to stay connected to people who who don't get it. We can't just write them off. We have to sort out how do we continue to try to understand where they're coming from. I think. I think Ken would like to ask a question. Okay, I can. Well, it, um, it's more in the way of a comment. Uh, and by way of background, um, politically, I suppose you, I, I would term myself left of center. Um, uh, my political affiliation is Democrat, and I had the unique experience of having been fairly highly placed in a Republican administration. And before I undertook that position, I pretty much, you know, being from Chicago where everybody's a Democrat, I pretty much assumed that Republicans all had tails, that that sort of thing. Um, But in coming to work with uh, uh, people of a different political affiliation over a number of years, I came to understand or came to believe that uh, for the most part, we all want the same things. We all want safe streets and good schools and so forth and so on, just different disagree on you know, how we get there. Um, I say that by way of background because uh, that has, well, actually, this is further background. That has caused me over the years uh, to pay a lot of attention to what people who, people on the other side of the political spectrum are saying. Um, I, I, cons- I was consuming a great deal of conservative news and talk radio and that sort of thing. Um so that that's the background, but it, it feels as if something has shifted because uh, with the advent of Mr. Trump, for whom truth seemed to have so little importance, I'm not talking about matters of opinion, I'm talking about truth, right? And so it has become increasingly difficult. In fact, I have to confess, I've sort of given up on it. It's difficult for me to um, try to connect uh, and try to understand someone for whom truth doesn't matter. It it makes it very difficult to uh, communicate, much less relate. Uh, You know, when, for example, with respect to the election, you know, you have have opinion polls, you know, indicating that 80 percent of Republicans believe the election is stolen. I don't believe that. I believe that a whole lot of these people, it just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And so from that standpoint, how do I continue to connect with someone? You know, I mean, you know, if we if we can't agree that two plus two equals four, you know, setting aside the math, I count them out. One, two, three, four, there are four. And you insist there are five. Not because... You, not because you really believe there are five, but because five is is supports your perspective. I mean, where do you where do you go from there? 
I mean, how, how, how do I how do I deal with that? So. I don't have an answer for that in, in, in generically. I can tell you that with my own sister, that we talk about what we have in common and we don't talk about what we don't have in common. And it is important to me to hold on to that. I almost lost it. And she matters to me, and I know she has integrity, even though I do not understand at all how she can have supported him. I don't know if anybody else has a good answer for that. Second? I don't have any answers, um, but I, but just to respond a little bit, uh, I appreciate Ken's comments, um, and I also appreciate trying to make connection, uh, especially with people we have connection with, with family and old friends, but um, and to try and, um, you know, to talk about what is what we do have in common, but uh, as Ken was saying, for people who are in denial of reality, um, it's difficult, uh, you know, I'll have to put it, thinking of it in terms of climate, people who say there's no climate uh, breakdown or whatever. Um, and it's just, it's uh, a matter of not, not paying attention to facts, to reality. And, so to try and to try and have a discussion about that or a debate or try to convince somebody of something, I think is kind of pointless um, if they are not willing to look at reality. At the same time, how do we keep some human connection where there is some? So it's really challenging. This is a really difficult time. Um, and there's this polarization, not just of opinion, but, but as Ken was saying, of people not willing to um, just look at reality. So uh, it's a challenging time in terms of that. And I appreciate, you know, the, the model of community that you were describing, Kathy, and people of different viewpoints coming together to help each other. That's, that seems to be something that humans do um, pretty readily whenever there's a some calamity, some crisis, um, people will join together in community. So there is that. So how do we keep keep our sense of um, the possibility of kindness and humanness at the same time that we don't that we don't uh, you know to to, to uh, compromise with two plus two equals four and two plus two equals five? Saying four and a half is not helpful. You know, it's just uh, so. Uh, as you were saying, Kathy, we need to to speak for reality as we see it, um, and yet try and see that you know that there are that there are commonalities, there are common fears, there are common 
human wishes. So anyway, it's a very challenging time in terms of that. So I appreciate your trying to talk about it. And thank you, Ken, for what you said as well. I apologize, everybody, for wrapping us up, but we have to be out here uh, promptly at nine. So uh, I think we have to wrap up some of the conversation. Um, sorry, Joe. We will uh, feel free to email in. One more? Okay, great. Um, Joe, you will get the, the last comment and Kathy a response if you feel that you would like to give one after he's done. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll try uh, probably unsuccessfully to be brief. Um, I don't have um, any answers myself. I have a, a few personal uh, anecdotes. I was in a, an AA meeting today, a virtual meeting, and um, the, uh, the topic came up to money and uh, you know, of course, the socialist in me decided I'd go on a rant. And I, I don't often cover this this part of the um, what I consider to be the, the uh, addiction enigma. But I, I did every once in a while. I will complain that um, that there are a lot of uh, uh, people, uh, distilleries, breweries, uh, tobacco companies, uh, the, the kid in the corner selling who knows what. Uh, who are getting very rich off of our disease and off of our misery. And uh, that's not the whole story, of course. I know we have free will and all that. But it, it, is, it is part of, of, of the problems that we're being manipulated. We're being sold all these, uh, uh, these, these stimulants and these behaviors, gambling and so forth. Um, and it's, uh, it's not something that's covered at all in the AA literature and seldom in, in uh, AA meetings. It's like uh, um, nobody wants to cover it i'm you know uh i don't always i sometimes will get a good response sometimes not um getting to the topic at hand uh i i, I think some of it is some of the problem is on us but i think we are being manipulated now that i mean the current paradigm the current stereotype is is the the guy in the in, in the basement of, of uh, the, the office building in st petersburg on his computer but there are hundreds and thousands of these guys, all over and gals, all over the world, trying to drive wedges and 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 and, and spread disinformation to us. And to some great extent, they are succeeding. Um, that's 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 part of the problem. We're being manipulated. I, as as far as the personal um, getting along with with those who disagree, I, I'm not all that good at it. Uh, I'm working on it. Um, several years ago, uh, but I think it's multifaceted too. Several years ago, I, I went, you know, uh, it was a period of my life where I, where I was dragged every holiday and, and we had to pack the family in and take, you know, drive out to the suburbs and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they, they always, uh, we were always uh, treated not very well. We were the poor relations from the city and all that crap. And that was one problem there. Uh, and then, uh, of course, I would hear, you know, this goes back way before Trump, but I'd hear, We've all heard it. We all know what goes on at these uh, family gatherings, you know, blah, blah, this and blah, blah, that and this group and that group. And, excuse me. Uh, uh, excuse me, Joe. Yes. Uh, we sorry. really do need to stop. There are people okay. who have to leave and 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 we have to the people. I, I didn't realize have to be I was, out of I was taking up that much time, but it's a good talk. No, it's me. not. That, it's not that you two were giving up that much time. I took up too much time. But anyway, we do have to stop.